One sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the gloom and fills the life with gladness. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. So men today have found the Savior able. They could not conquer passion, pride, and sin. Their broken hearts had left them sad and lonely. Then Jesus came and dwelt himself within. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the gloom and fills a life with glory. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. For all is changed when Jesus comes with Thank you, brother. I love it when he sings. Well, today I want to do a doctrinal message. You know, we need the basic doctrines of our faith. And so today we're going to talk about the elements of salvation. These are all important. And we want to get them firmly fixed in our minds so that when we talk to somebody else, uh, we can share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. title of my message today is The Gospel in a Nutshell. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Do you have that? What page is it on? (laughs) Get your your Bible. (laughs) We're going to look at it. All right. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance 
for us to do. This is uh, the gospel in a nutshell. These uh, three verses, if you put that together and you look at that, study that, learn that, understand that, appropriate that, uh, it really helps. Uh, The most simple and clear summary, some theologians say, of anywhere in the whole Bible are these three verses. Uh, How is a person saved? Well, it'd probably be good for us to start in verse 9 because that is Paul's uh, statement uh, to answer that question. How are you saved? Paul says, look at verse 9. Not by works, lest anyone can boast. It is absolutely essential for all of us today in this place to understand that it's not by our good works that we are saved. That doesn't do it. I mean, you can pile your good works in a big hill, and it still uh, won't do it. Uh, Salvation does not come from works. It does not come from the good things that we do. Now, a lot of people think it does. They're wrong. Uh, We've got to take the biblical message and understand what it has to say and then appropriate that truth to our lives. Now, I have three points this morning. Number one, it is not of yourselves. To accept the Bible teaching that salvation is not of works means to go against the notions of our culture. In our culture today, we believe pretty much that everything is based on what we do, on our works. That's the way people think. I heard a preacher illustrating this in a sermon years ago, and I'm sure you've heard this story about the frog that falls in the can of milk and he can't get out. You know, the frog is just trying frantically to get out. He can't get out. So he just keeps paddling so he won't drown in the milk. And after a while, things begin to kind of firm up around his feet. And the frog doesn't really understand what's happening, but it looks good, so he keeps doing it. After a while, of course, it turns into butter. And it gets uh, harder and harder. So after a while, presto, uh, you know, he's saved by uh, leaping from his own self-made platform. And he's uh, okay. Well, personally, if I fell into a great big can of uh, milk, I'd paddle too if the choice was to drown. But I wouldn't base my theology on salvation on what I do, on my paddling. That's a different area completely. The sad truth is the frog is a symbol of American folk religion. Just keep on keeping on. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I've said that before. Well, that's fine in a lot of arenas, but it's not fine in order for us to be converted because that's basing what we do and where we are with the Lord on our works. Have you heard this one? I'm a good person, not perfect, but there are a whole lot of people out there that are worse than I am. Have you heard that one? Once again, it's based on works. Here's another one. 
God knows I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best. There's the works. I'm doing my best. Now, that might be all right for Kermit the Frog, but it's not all right in the language of salvation. Our text gives us one reason that salvation is not by works. Did you catch that? Lest any man should boast. If salvation came, came by works, eternity would spawn a whole fraternity of folks pounding on their chest and just boasting about all the great things that they have done. Can you just uh, hear what the Pharisees would say? You know, you've studied enough of the Bible to know that the Pharisees would stand over at uh, one corner in one of the courts of the temple and they'd say, look at those terrible people, those sinners. Look at those liars. Look at those adulterers. Look at those uh, evildoers. Thank you, God, that I'm not like any of them. That's what the Pharisees did. They thought they were on a whole different plane than everybody else because of what they did. They thought they were on top. Uh, I know that uh, in Jesus' parable, and you know this, you remember the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, the goats were over on the left, and they were bragging. They were talking about all the wonderful things that they had done and how perfect they were in the eyes of God. And they were sent to judgment. And the sheep on the right, the ones that are saved, the ones that will go on to their heavenly reward, they can't even recall the good deeds that they have done. For salvation does not come by our works. No one who is saved will have the grounds to boast before God. That isn't the way to do it. Uh, neither will we even want to boast before God. Now, as important as this reason is, there are even deeper reasons why salvation is not by works. Now, God is radically righteous. Perfectly, 100% righteous. His standard is righteousness. And when I say that, I mean everything. His standard is that we would be totally righteous. No human being can do that. There's not one of us in the room. Maybe one or two of you think you can, but, uh, you know, there's not anybody in here that can do that. Uh, neither the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor the religious, nor the irreligious, nor the pagans, nor the pious. Nobody can do that. All of us have an inward sinful nature. Even our very best works are colored by sin and can never approach the radical righteousness which God demands. No matter how high we climb on our moral ladder, some of us think that they had to add extensions because we're so far up there. Uh, however high you go, it's not high enough. Salvation is not by our works. 
Now, imagine an airplane flying over the South Atlantic Sea. All of a sudden, something goes wrong in the engine, and it crashes. goes straight into the water. A thousand miles from any coast. And there's three people on this airplane. One is a champion Olympic swimmer. One is just kind of a so-so everyday swimmer. And the third guy, he can't swim at all. And so the plane goes into the water. And the Olympic star calls out and says, follow me, guys. And uh, he takes off with an impressive stroke like he has learned, uh, you know, in all of his years of swimming. Well, uh, he's heading for the uh, South America tip. It's a 1,000 miles away, and that's where he's going. The other two, of course, uh, don't have any other choices, so they jump in after him. It takes about 30 seconds for the non-swimmer to join, uh, David joins, David Jones' locker. Uh, It takes about 30 minutes for the average swimmer to be deep-sixed. But the champion swimmer, he's up there, and he's just swimming like crazy, looking like the pro that he is. And he is able to do it for 25 hours. And he covers an impressive 50 miles. He's just unbelievably terrific. Well, he has only 475 more hours to go. He'll be there in 19 days if he doesn't slow down. There's another little problem. There's nothing to eat or drink along the way. Well, the truth is, in spite of our popular folk religion, our paddling will never do. It just won't do, no matter how good we are. The distance too far is too far, and we're too flawed. We can try, but our works will be no more beneficial than rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. The Bible says, not by works, and that's the truth. Suppose I have a real close personal friend. And I say to him, you know, you are a terrific person. You have always uh, done well at your work. And you built a beautiful home for yourself and your family. I think that is just terrific. But you know what? I can't believe a word that you say. Not one word that you say. How do you think the friend of mine would react to that? Wouldn't like that. Well, this is the same way that some people treat God. They say to God, Lord, I think you're wonderful. You created everything. Nobody else could do that. You did a wonderful job. You made my dog, which I love. You made my wife, who I love. You just, you made the mountains, it's so beautiful, so wonderful. You've just done so many wonderful things. And your son, Jesus, he is just wonderful. He did all those miracles, and it was just, 
It's just wonderful, the plan that you had. But God, I can't believe anything that you say about salvation because you say it's not based on my works. How do you think God would react to that? Not well. (laughs) All right, point number two. It is by grace. Well, if we're not saved by works, how are we saved? What's, what's the methodology? How do we do it? The answer from the Bible is by grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Well, what is grace? Now, you've heard this, I'm sure. The unmerited favor of God. In other words, you didn't deserve it. The unmerited favor of God. The love of God going out toward the utterly undeserving. And that's us. It's not only the murderer out here driving down the road. It's also us. The great emphasis of our text is that grace is a free gift. It's something that you didn't expect that you were given. And it's the greatest gift that a man or a woman or a boy or a girl could ever receive. The idea is that by God's grace, you are people who have been saved through faith. And the whole event, the whole experience is God's free gift to you. There was a large, prestigious church in the middle of the city. Great, huge, big church. All the latest and finest chandeliers, just a marvelous-looking standing church. And that church had three mission churches out in uh, the real poor parts of town. Their practice was the first Sunday of every year, everybody would gather at the downtown church, and they would have the Lord's Supper Together. Everybody would do it together. Well, in those mission churches, uh, which were located, of course, in the slums, were some very outstanding cases of salvation, of conversions. There were thieves, there were burglars, there were murderers, all this kind of thing. Well, on that one day when they went to town, everybody got down on their knees together and took the Lord's Supper together. Uh, It was really uh, a remarkable kind of service. Everybody on their knees before the Lord. On one such occasion, the pastor saw a former burglar uh, kneeling right beside the judge of the Supreme Court of England. Right beside him. And it just so happened that that guy had been sentenced to seven years in prison by that judge right beside each other on their knees. Well, after his release from prison, the burglar had somehow or another gotten caught up in this mission church out there, and he had made a declaration of his faith. And he began to grow in the Lord Jesus, and he became a strong Christian believer 
uh, one that served on a daily basis and did everything he could do to further the message of Christ. Well, as they were kneeling there, the judge and the former convict, convict, it seemed like they didn't see each other, even though they were about eight inches apart. And so it came to the end of the time of the Lord's Supper, and everybody went back and sat down. After the service, the judge was walking out with the pastor. And he said to him, did you notice who was kneeling beside me this morning? And the pastor said, I did notice, but it didn't look like you noticed or he noticed. Yes, he said, I did notice. And the two walked away in silence. Well, after a few more moments, the judge said uh, to the pastor, it was a miracle of grace. And the pastor nodded in agreement. Yes, it was a tremendous miracle of grace. The judge said, now wait a minute, who are you referring to? And the pastor said, why to the convict, of course. And the judge said, well, I was not referring to him. I was referring to myself. And the pastor was real surprised, and he said, uh, you're thinking of yourself. I, I don't understand that. Explain that to me. And the judge said, well, it was natural for that burglar who was caught, who was sentenced, who went to prison, who served seven years, when he got out, to somehow or another come in contact with a believer who took him to one of our missions, And the Lord Jesus offered him joy and peace and contentment and happiness, which he had never had before in his life. It's only natural uh, that he knew that he needed help and that Jesus was the way for that help to come. But look at me, the judge said. I was taught from earliest infancy to live as a gentleman, that my word was to be my bond, that I was to say my prayers and go to church and be regular in attendance for the Lord's Supper. I went to Oxford. I took my degrees. I got into the legal profession. I became a judge. Pastor, it was God's grace that drew me to him. It was God's grace that opened my heart to receive him. It was a greater miracle for me than for the thief. Perhaps there is something to the judge's insistence upon his life being the greater miracle. But in both cases, it was God's free gift, unearned grace, and certainly not works, which brought them to salvation. Again, how contrary to the spirit of our age this is, especially the American culture. You know what we say? We say, I earn my money the old-fashioned way. I earn it. I earn it. Such a mentality is proper in that realm, but in regard to salvation, It is deadly. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift 
of God. The fact is, as soon as there is a mixture of even the smallest portion of work with God's grace, grace is debased. And no one will be saved except for God's unmerited favor. The reason the judge saw his own salvation as a greater miracle than that of the thief was that he had a position in which he could have been very, very proud like the Pharisees and hardly the kind of man that would come and humble himself to receive God's free gift. But that's what he did. And that's what we must do. Men and women must be meek enough to receive his grace, to admit they cannot save themselves or earn their own admittance into heaven. They must listen with all they have to Paul's third point, that salvation comes through faith. Point three, through faith. For by grace are you saved, Through faith, there is no faith, and when you're in that situation, there's no grace, and there's no salvation. In Scripture, faith is the thing that God honors more than any other single quality. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, Acts 16.31. No one has sin forgiven. No one goes to heaven. No one has peace in their heart until there is faith in the Lord Jesus. And then, what is faith? Well, it's not the mere intellectual uh, reception of Christian truth or doctrine. It is not belief alone. True faith is belief plus trust. Blondin was a world-famous acrobat. Born in France in 1824, Blondin became well-known while he was still a child. He could do anything on the tightrope, it seemed. As he grew older, his skill and his showmanship grew, brought him fame throughout Europe and the United States. Once in London, he played a violin on a tightrope 170 feet over the water. And then he did a somersault, wearing stilts. His most spectacular feats were crossing Niagara Falls on a tightrope 1,100 feet long and 160 feet above the water. On another occasion, he pushed a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, while he was blindfolded. That's why in London today, there is Niagara Avenue and Blondin Avenue. Once, in an unusual demonstration of skill, Blondin carried a man across Niagara Falls on his back. On his back. After putting the rider down, he turned to the large crowd that was standing there and clapping and all that. And he said to the man that was standing in the front, do you believe that I could do that with you? And the guy said, I do believe that. He said, I just saw you do it with him. And so Blondin said, hop on. I'll carry you across. And the guy said, not on your life. 
not going to do that. You know, there's no faith without trust. We have to have that. But it is a universe of difference between the tightrope walker and Jesus. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do we believe that he died for our sins? Do we believe that he is resurrected and lives today? Have we used our free will and trusted him to save us, put our faith in him totally? The only way to go from the death valley of the soul to the brightest heavens of spiritual life is to be carried there by Jesus. And for this to happen, there are some things that must be understood in our heart and that we must believe, for they are the gospel in a nutshell. Three points. First, salvation is not of ourselves. It's not of works. Do we believe that the Bible uh, says what it does and that it's all true? Do we see that our best will never get us there because we have a sinful nature? Do we see that our works are nothing more than rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic? Second, we must see and believe that salvation is only by grace. It is completely a free gift. For it is by grace that you are saved. Third, we must understand that salvation is through faith. And we must trust in him alone for our salvation. The Bible says... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Folks, we have a part to play. We're supposed to put our faith and trust in him. I wonder if in the house today there's anybody that would like to do that. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you've tried to pray. Maybe you've talked to the people across the, the fence in your backyard. Maybe you've watched a few religious shows on TV. Uh, maybe you went even to a Billy Graham a crusade one time, but you've never taken that step on faith. Today, I want to ask you to do that, to take a step on faith and say, Lord, I want to give you my heart, my soul, my life. And by the grace of God, you'll be saved today. There are those in the house today that perhaps would like to come. You've been visiting with us. You'd like to come and join with us and be a part of our family. Join hands and arms and hearts and lives with us so that we can grow together in serving the risen Lord. If you'd like to do that, slip out in just a moment when we stand to sing and come and take a stand for Christ. He certainly has stood for you. Let's stand together as we sing. I'll be waiting on you.